the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. The fact of the matter is that the greatest satisfaction and contentment in our lives will not come from power, prestige, or even people. But it will come through a personal relationship with the Lord. Our ultimate satisfaction and contentment, the deepest longings of our souls, will only be ultimately and completely fulfilled in the Lord. That's what David writes about here. This is Cornerstone Connection. The radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Psalms. Our society and culture has been trained to be driven by the endless desire for the next newest thing. We are constantly searching for the newest experience, possession, or product. But David reminds us that none of those things will ever fulfill or satisfy us. He encourages us to find satisfaction and contentment in the Lord. Only God can fulfill the heart and satisfy the longing of our soul. In today's message, Pastor Gary will show us that the things of this world will pass away, but God will endure forever, and we will never regret giving Him our all. Starting here at Psalm 131, you'll notice it again, the subtitle, A Song of Ascent. This is one of the rare ones that also gives us the author's name. David was the one inspired by the Holy Spirit to pen these words. Only three verses long, this is what it says. My heart is not proud, O Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have stilled and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. So those of you taking notes, number 10, this is really the theme of this chapter. Find satisfaction and contentment in the Lord. Find satisfaction and contentment in the Lord. Why does this need to be said? This needs to be said because we live in a world, I think you might agree with me, that really is about dissatisfaction and discontentment. You know, we we don't seem to have enough, and what we do have is not good enough. Uh, This is the reason why, you know, ad campaigns are targeting the idea of the new and improved. 
you know, marketing firms want to make sure that their product is advertised as new and improved, because God forbid, we don't want old and familiar. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, once you've had something too long, even if it's the same product, we got to change up the packaging, we got to change up the fonts, we got to change up the color to make it look new and improved, and even put the words there. After all, I mean, what product would you buy if it actually said across the front of it, old and familiar? You know? I mean, who would buy that kind of a thing? The slogan, just like your grandpa. Nobody would buy that. Can you imagine buying a package of socks and it said old and familiar, just like your grandpa, and smells like him too. Nobody would buy socks like that. So there's this constant attention to new and improve, to capture the consumer mind about wanting more and better and greater things. We live in a very discontent culture, a very dissatisfied culture. And if some of us admitted it, and I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, even when it came to the iPhone 8, you just had to have it. You know who you are. And it wasn't that your iPhone 7, 6, or 5 was a piece of trash. It's just that the iPhone 8 is new and exciting. You want what's new and exciting. But Pastor G, you don't understand. It has a better camera. Whatever. All right. I'm, I'm just making the point that it's just like we can have something that even works, but it's not the latest and it's not the greatest. Now, show of hands. I mean this in all sincerity. How many of you have a roof over your head and have at least one meal a day? Let me see a show of hands. All right. According to the latest global statistics, you are richer than 93% of the world. If you have a roof over your head and if you have one meal a day, you're, you're richer than 93%. Of, of the world. What about shoes? Everybody wear shoes to church today? How many of you have at least, at least one pair of shoes? I'm not going to call out the ladies. Just one pair. <laughs> Just one. You're wealthier than 75% of the world. But now here's what's so staggering. So we all are wealthier than 93% of the world and 75% of the world relative to a roof over a house, a meal on the table, and shoes on our feet. But the average American household has $16,000 worth of credit card debt. Why is that? Because we don't have enough. And what we do have is not good enough. And it's not just something that creeps into the material. It also creeps into the relational. A lot of marriages have dissolved because somebody got tired of the old and familiar. They wanted new and exciting. And so our souls can become troubled by things that we've become familiar with. This psalm is written here by David as an expression of his complete contentment and satisfaction in the Lord. Because the fact of the matter is that the greatest satisfaction and contentment in our lives will not come from power, prestige, or even people, but it will come through a personal relationship with the Lord. Our ultimate satisfaction and contentment, the deepest longings of our souls, will only be ultimately and completely fulfilled in the Lord. That's what David writes about here. And that's why in verse 2 he says, I have stilled and quieted my soul. 
In other words, he says, I'm not hurried or worried. I'm not rushing here and there trying to find satisfaction in fleeting things. No, he says, I have stilled and quieted my soul before God. And he adds in the rest of verse 2, like a weaned child with its mother. And he repeats it for emphasis, like a weaned child is my soul within me. This is a picture of complete satisfaction and peace and contentment in the Lord. David writes that he is at peace with his creator. That's why he has quieted his soul before God like a weaned child with his mother. Now, you know, God has no gender. God is neither male nor female. Although the predominant examples throughout Scripture represent him as father. And so that is how we should refer to him. That said, there are a few, a very few, and here's one of them, here in Psalm 131, where God is seen as a mother, having attributes of being loving and nurturing and caring. And David writes as one who is so satisfied and content in the Lord that he is like a weaned child with his mother. Now, a nursing child, a child who has not been weaned, a nursing child wants mommy for food and comfort. But a weaned child wants mommy just for who she is, for her love and closeness. And that's what David is saying. David is saying, I don't want God for what he can give to me. I have found a place in my heart where I love God just for who God is. We have to battle against discontentment and dissatisfaction in our world and in our lives. We have to quiet our souls. We have to find our satisfaction and our contentment in Him. There's many verses that spell this out for us. Psalm 46 verse 10 says, Be still and know that I am God. Quiet your souls before the Lord and be reminded of His fulfillment. Psalm 34, 8, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Psalm 37, 7, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. So, find satisfaction and contentment in the Lord. Stephen Curtis Chapman wrote a song years ago. Part of the song goes like this. You are everything I want, Lord. You're everything I need. I want this to be my one consuming passion. Everything my heart desires, Lord, I want it all to be for you. Jesus, be my magnificent obsession. My magnificent obsession. My magnificent obsession. The next psalm here is Psalm 132. It's longer. It's 18 verses. Let me read it. It is, again, a song of ascents. The psalmist writes, O Lord, remember David and all the hardships he endured. He swore an oath to the Lord and made a vow to the mighty one of Jacob. I will not enter my house or go to my bed. I will allow no sleep to my eyes, no slumber to my eyelids, till I find a place for the Lord a dwelling for the mighty one of Jacob. We heard it in Ephrathah. We came upon it in the fields of Jaar. Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, and come to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. May your priest be clothed with righteousness. May your saints sing for joy. For the sake of David, your servant, do not reject your anointed one. The Lord swore an oath to David, a sure oath that he will not revoke. One of your own descendants I will place on your throne. 
If your sons keep my covenant and the statutes I teach them, then their sons will sit on your throne forever and ever. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling. This is my resting place forever and ever. Here I will sit enthroned, for I have desired it. I will bless her with abundant provisions. Her poor will I satisfy with food. I will clothe her priests with salvation, and her saints will ever sing for joy. Here I will make a horn grow for David and set up a lamp for my anointed one. I will clothe his enemies with shame, but the crown on his head will be resplendent. Now, even though this particular psalm doesn't give us a byline, it does mention David's name a few times in this psalm, but even then it doesn't mean that he wrote it. He may have, we just don't know for sure. Some Bible scholars believe that David's son Solomon wrote this psalm because Solomon quotes from this psalm in 2 Chronicles 6 when he dedicates the temple of God. Whoever was inspired by the Spirit to write this, one thing is clear. It expresses about David his heart for the worship of God. David loved to worship the Lord. And he made it his undying goal to have a temple of God, a dwelling place for the Lord. Because remember, I mean, for for centuries, the Jews did not have a permanent dwelling place, a permanent temple where, where they could worship God until David. Now, David was not permitted to build the temple because God said to David, your hands have shed blood. David was a warrior. And so David received from God the architect's renderings of the temple and he handed it on to Solomon and Solomon would be the one to build it. But his heart was always for a dwelling place and David says, I can't sleep until God has a dwelling place. That's what he means here in between verses 3 and 4. He says, I will not enter my house or go to my bed. I will allow no sleep to my eyes, no slumber to my eyelids till I find a place for the Lord. David's life is divided into three sections. He was a shepherd, he was a warrior, and then he became king. But David was always a worshiper. As a shepherd, as a warrior, and a king, David was always a worshiper. He had it in his heart to always exalt God and to praise his name and to make sure that God was not only personally exalted, but nationally exalted. When he became king, he made it a part of the national disposition of Israel. We will worship God. We will give him glory. We will exalt his name. That's what he means also in in verse 9. He says, may your priests be clothed with righteousness. May your saints sing for joy. He says in verse 7, let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. It's the idea that even the temple of God could not obviously contain the glory of God or the sum total of God's character and nature and omniscience and omnipotence. And so in that sense, it's only a footstool. God is seated on a heavenly throne, but David even calls the nation. We're going to go to Jerusalem. We're going to worship the Lord. And so it is built by his son Solomon. And this passion of David's to worship God that you see reflected here throughout this chapter is a reminder to us to make the worship of God central to your life. Make the worship of God central to your life. And Scripture teaches that there are three primary ways that God is worshipped. The most common way, and these would be like subpoints underneath number 11 here. The most common way, the most familiar way that 
that we instantly think of worship is through singing, right? I mean, when someone says we're going to worship the Lord, the, the most common thing, the thing I think of first is we're going to sing. And singing is definitely a way that we worship the Lord. It's our desire to express his immeasurable worth. That is what worship is. It is ascribing worthship unto God, and it takes the form of singing sometimes. Again, verse 9, at the end of verse 9, he says, May your saints sing for joy. We are told to sing. That's why we take a considerable amount of time in our worship services. At the beginning of each service, to sing unto the Lord, to worship Him. We are doing this because we want God to be honored and glorified from the very beginning of our gathering. And by the way, the singing is not just the opening act until the teaching time. Okay? Some of you think that. I'll just kind of skip the music part. We'll just get there for the Bible study. No, no, no. The first part is the important part of getting our hearts right before we can even properly understand and receive the Word of God. We get our hearts right with God through worship. We exalt Him. We humble ourselves. We even, if you feel the freedom to, lift your hands to the Lord. He even says over in chapter 134... Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. It's, it's part of an expression of worship. I got asked years ago, why do people lift their hands in church to worship God? You know, the, the best explanation to me, besides the Bible just says, lift your hands to the Lord. I heard a guy say one time, what's the first thing you do when you're held up by a robber? Because it's a natural sign of surrender. So you can feel the freedom to lift your hands and worship the Lord as part of singing unto God because it's just a symbol of surrender. You can be half surrendered. <laughs> Some of you are, you know, surrendered upside down. It's all right. However you, however you want to sing. But singing is part of worshiping God. Psalm 96, 1 and 2. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise His name, proclaim His salvation day after day. Psalm 47 verse 6 says, Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises. All told, there are more than 400 references in the Bible to singing to God. And of those, 50 are direct commands to sing. Now, some of you hearing that might say, but wait a minute, I, I can't really sing. I can't carry a tune in a bucket. Yeah, we, we know. <laughs> if we sit near you, we know. <laughs> but it's okay. There's a verse for you too. Psalm 98 verse 4, King James Version says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. <laughs> You're making a noise. It's joyful though. And God hears it. It's sweet music to his ears. So sing, even if you feel like you can't. I told this story, but I'll never forget this remarkable moment that was such a teaching moment in my life. Several years ago, I was doing a funeral over here at Loudoun Funeral Chapel. And as part of the funeral, they asked me if I would lead in the singing of Amazing Grace, and so I did. And on the front row, just this awful singing just like, wow, that's a, little, that's a little pitchy. I'm going to have a hard time singing this song and leading the congregation. Whoever And, and loudly, this guy, he's like a 60-year-old guy who's just on the front row singing loudly, Amazing Grace. But it sounded so awful, <laughs> really bad. And I looked down. I just kind of 
glance down in his direction because I didn't want to like, you know, call him out. And this guy had had a tracheotomy and he was singing out of a hole in his throat. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I felt like this big because I saw his exuberance and his excitement to worship the living God. And he sang out of a hole in his throat. And I thought, if that man can sing like that, which must be sweet-sounding to the ears of God, how much more should I sing out for his glory? How much more should you sing out for his glory? Singing is part of our worship, but it's not the only one. Another way that we worship is not just singing, but also, number two, living. Living. The Bible says in Romans 12, 1, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Paul says there in Romans 12, 1, that the way we live, that actually the way we conduct our bodies, that our bodies can be living instruments of worship to the Lord. In other words, that a life of holiness and purity brings worship to God. And Paul gets even more specific in Romans 6. He says, do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. In other words... When you and I live lives of purity and holiness before God, it brings worship to God. When you say, if you're single, when you say to your boyfriend or girlfriend, I'm not going to have sex with you because God's design is for that to be reserved for marriage, and you keep your body pure in that sense, you're worshiping God. When you say, I'm not going to abuse my body with illicit drugs or excessive alcohol, you are worshiping God. When you say, I will not look at pornography because I want my eyes to be used for the glory of God and not to be viewing wicked and evil and pornographic things, you bring worship to God. When you eat well and get good sleep and take care of your bodies, you actually are using your bodies as instruments of righteousness. You are bringing worship to God. When you decide to put a guard over your mouth and not say things that would be inappropriate, you are bringing worship to God. In other words, every way that we could possibly use our lives, our bodies, in purity and in holiness, bring worship to God. It's not just in our singing, it's also in our living. And number three, it's also in our giving. Paul commended the church in Philippi for their giving when he said in Philippians 4, 18 and 19, he said, your offerings... Your offerings that you've given unto the Lord are a fragrant offering, a sacrifice that is pleasing to God. He said, actually, the the idea of giving unto the Lord is worshipful to God. And it is important for us to be generous because in our generosity, we are ascribing worth to God. You see, one of the qualities and characteristics of God is that he's... Generous for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And to the degree that we are generous, we, 
we actually then show ourselves in the same character and nature as, as our Lord. Now, for some of you who say, well, if I, if I give, I, I might not have enough for myself. Well, see, that's the rest of Philippians 4.18 after he speaks about how your offerings are a fragrant sacrifice to God. Then in verse 19, he says, and my God shall meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. You can't outgive God. God's people will never be begging for bread. We're so glad you joined us for Pastor Gary's message today. We hope you've been blessed by this teaching in the book of Psalms and that God is whispering the words of comfort and strength to your heart. If you'd like to learn more about Cornerstone Connection, visit our website at cornerstoneconnection.cc. There you can hear all of Pastor Gary's messages through this book, as well as the entire Bible. Be sure to check out the companion resources while you're there, found under the Teachings tab. These digital study guides are meant to give you even more insight into some of the studies Pastor Gary has done and are available free of charge to you at cornerstoneconnection.cc. We'd love to connect with you and hear more about how God is working in your life. Feel free to join the conversation on our Facebook page or check out what's going on at Cornerstone Connection on Twitter or Instagram. We're here to chat with you in person too. So give us a call at 703-771-1500. Let us know how we can be praying for you. That number again is 703-771-1500. That's all we have time for today. Pastor Gary will have much more to share from his verse-by-verse study through Psalms when you join us again, right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not a Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.